0: And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. This is the weekly podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com where you get the news that you want the stories that other media leave behind for Bucks, Chester, Delaware, Montgomery County. Todd Shepard is the editor. And Todd, notice how I uh, just so easily place the names of the county in alphabetical order. I'm very impressed by myself today. Very well done. Uh, (laughs) Always start
1: with Bucks. You'll always be in good
0: position. Uh, Always start with Bucks and you'll have good luck. I think that's a saying. I'm not sure. Uh, so, uh, people who are, uh, not having good luck are people who are trying to bring legal challenges in the area of voting and traditional voting controls and voting laws. There's been a national push to force States to abandon things like you have to have your ballot in by election day and you have to have an ID and somebody has to see you vote and whatever. And that fight is coming to Delaware County. Is that what I'm reading in Delaware Valley journal?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, look, think about the Philadelphia controversy for just a second, where the the city had set up these satellite election offices, and they called them rolling. So they'd be open for a few days, and then they would open another one somewhere else. Essentially, the the county of Delaware and the elections board was looking at doing something very similar. What happened here was on an October 7th meeting of the board, uh, the interim elections director said, well, I've been talking to the people at Subaru Park, they wanted to partner with us. So I make a motion that we agree to set up a mobile voting location there on October, I think 16th, 17th and 18th. And uh, so there's, keep in mind, the board has two Democrats and one Republican, and it's always a two to one balance, but the Republican in this case, Jim Byrne, he said, hey, wait a second, we can't vote on this because this wasn't on the agenda. there We didn't take any public comment, so quite frankly, this is illegal for us to do. Now, he made those comments on October 7th, but—I'm Mon- or I'm sorry, not on Monday, but uh, Wednesday of this week, uh, a lawsuit was filed, and a group of Republicans are actually taking this issue to court now. They say the whole setup at Subaru Park ought to be—there ought to be an injunction against it, and it ought not to happen because the, the elections board didn't do this the right way.
0: I thought it was fascinating. You had— uh... Uh, pointed out that the the, the issues surrounding these pop up voting aren't just the legalities that you talked about, which is true. You know, you got to have voters, got to know what's going on, they got to be allowed to have public comment. I mean, this really is not how democracy is designed to work, but that there are actual problems. For example, the Trump administration is in court fighting over how these pop up voting spots are being treated. Right. Right. Of course, what happens
1: is they they sued on that Philadelphia uh, example that I started off with there. The Trump administration sued. They lost in the first round, but they are taking that on appeal. What happened in that case was the judge said, look, I can't force poll watchers into these satellite election offices. To do so would be for me to rewrite election law. Uh, but again, as I said, the Trump team is is appealing that. I think there are a lot of Republicans right now who are sort of scratching their heads. who They feel like the Pennsylvania Supreme Court was judicially activist when they said, "Oh, we'll let any ballot that arrives three days after the election be counted." They felt as though that were activism, and they feel that uh, Glazer was uh, Judge Glazer in the Philadelphia case uh, was being a little too loose in what he considered right. judicial activism, and so they they were sort of almost wondering, "Gosh, what could we do to get Judge Glazer up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court <laughs> and, and vice versa?" Right.
0: but I just think the idea that a poll watcher can't participate when someone is doing the act of voting I mean and I know they have these bizarre arguments that well it, it, technically it's not voting it's just filling out your ballot which I'm I, I don't it's to me it's like when Bill Clinton was having the argument that no 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 I did not have it was I didn't have sexual relations really I don't okay uh so is the concern that you're gonna have this three? three days of a place where people can go where the traditional rules of voting won't be in place. Is the concern just you can't have the board making these decisions without public input, or is it a mix of all that?
1: Well, I think the unstated concern from some of the Republicans, the maybe the unstated worry is that some of these additional, now in Delaware, they're calling them mobile voter services. Okay. So that some of these mobile locations will be placed in in positions that will harvest more democrat votes than republicans right and so this is i think this is really why the um the republicans who are suing are they, I, quite frankly, I think they've got an excellent case on this technicality because it really wasn't on the, I mean, everything that they're alleging that it wasn't on the agenda, that it, that they took no public comment, both of those seem to be incredibly on nose on your face. True. And so, but there is a sort of unspoken mm-hmm. concern that it right. it really is just a, a Democrat benefit.
0: And this is, there's another unspoken concern, which is about voter registration in the four counties. Where, you know, there for a long time there were more Republican registered voters and you've been tracking this, uh, the shift as Democrats uh, took the lead. What's the status of voter registration? We had a piece about the possibility that we could have, what was it, 200,000 mail-in ballots this, this election uh, as, uh, as so many Americans and, and people in the Delaware Valley are participating in the election?
1: Right. And before I get to the Chester County nugget that you just mentioned, remember that last week in Delaware Valley journal, we reported that in Bucks County, uh, 75 percent of all the mail-in ballots that have been requested so far are Democrat. That's a huge advantage right now. And I know Republicans are saying, oh, well, you know, Republicans are going to vote in person. That that puts an awful lot of emphasis on that single day. But now to the Chester County story that you mentioned, 200,000 mail-in ballots that Chester County estimates they'll be able to count on Election Day. That really is the one uh, that's sort of the one bright spot that we've seen i mean everything that we've reported on has been near calamity right or it at least seems to be extending the the problem or the the chance for calamity finally here we have a, a county that says we're in position to basically when 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 the clock hits 7 on election day we are ready to rock and roll now certainly it helps that chester county is the least populated of the the four in the delaware valley but You know, finally, it's not all grim news for once when it comes to the number of mail-in ballots that will be used and how quickly they expect to process them.
0: Well, I thought it was interesting uh, over in the uh, House 155 race with Representative uh, Danielle Freelotten and Republican Michael Taylor. Taylor pointed out that that district still has more registered Republicans than Democrats and trying to keep hope alive for what looks like a pretty grim election cycle for Republicans in the Delaware Valley.
1: Well, the problem for Mr. Taylor is, is that gap has been closing all year. And again, you know, this is something we've been tracking. We reported back in, in May that Chester County Democrats had finally surpassed Republicans in voter registrations in that counter in that County, excuse me. But what we're seeing is is in the Taylor and Freelotten race, uh, yes, he's right. He had a, a much better advantage at the beginning of this year, but it has shrunk significantly in the intervening months. And consider that all of that has happened while a lot of people have been in lockdown and, and so forth, or their their outdoor activity has been really restricted. So Democrats have been making huge gains, and I'm sure that you know while Mr. Taylor is right to include that in his strategy— uh, you know, I think the other Republicans all across the Delaware Valley are, are recognizing that they're swimming against a tide, not only uh, the way the president appears to be dragging down the
0: ticket, but also just this continued surge in blue registrations. Right. Um, another thing, though, you mentioned about the, the difference in the strategy and door knocking, et cetera, is that uh, Taylor, like a lot of Republicans, has been going out door to door. And uh, when I spoke to him, he said that most people are happy to see him. You know, he obviously wears masks. You stand back, you blah, blah, blah. But very few people are, you know, anti, you know, stay away from my door. You're going to infect me. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's very much. Oh, sure. Glad you're by. We'll all socially distance. Um, and and uh, his opponent, uh, Representative Freelot, has specifically uh, avoided door knocking and made a virtue of saying, I'm not going to go out and do events. So we'll see how that works out.
1: And that'll be incredibly important. And it really it gets down to that retail level of politics uh, that I mean, that one thing, uh, the door knock and kissing babies at the county fair, it seems like that, you know, uh, of course, I joke a little bit about the second, but I mean, door knocking, I just don't think there's any substitute for that one on one interaction uh, you know, I knew a guy that became governor of Colorado one time because he sent thank-you notes after his door knocks. <laughs> Not kidding, you know. And that oh, I believe it. Absolutely. Governor. Yeah, so um, there is no substitute for it. So we're doing this series uh, where we're looking at some of these races one-on-one, and we've done one on the Brian Fitzpatrick race. That's the federal... Congressional District 1, up mainly up in Bucks County, uh, but let's go back to to the state races. State Senator Tom Killian, also in Chester County. Uh, what Killian says is, look, it may not be door knocks, but what I've been able to do in the last two to three years is uh, I've done hyper-local legislation, and all of that legislation has introduced me to people on a one-on-one basis, and that's what's elevated my name recognition, and in the end, that's what's going to carry me through uh, to a re-election, and send me back to Harrisburg. So uh, retail politics, obviously taking different forms. But uh, Killian has really tried to, to cast a similar bipartisan across the aisle
0: image that Fitzpatrick has in CD1. One. Absolutely. One uh, more issue before we get to your uh, interview about local politics with a prominent Democratic political consultant is the issue of education, education being hard hit by COVID and different communities making different decisions about remote learning versus in-class learning, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought it was fascinating. Uh, A new poll was released that we reported on a Delaware Valley Journal covering the five key swing states, you know, the usual suspects, Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and how much support there is for school choice and charter schools and publicly funded choice and schools. And I think that's particularly interesting in the suburbs where you have people who have moved to uh, take advantage of quality schools. And sometimes you see what appears to be kind of a NIMBY not in my backyard attitude, or maybe a raise the drawbridge attitude of, Hey, I moved here to get a great school. You know, you go solve your education problem somewhere else, but there it is among Pennsylvania voters, uh, 66% said they support publicly funded K-12 school choice, and among black voters, it was 77%, which I thought was absolutely fascinating.
1: Well, look, let me give you a really good national example. Back in 2018, the Wall Street Journal was hypothesizing that the only reason that Ron DeSantis became governor of Florida was because he actually won a large African-American vote because of his support for school choice. So, it seems as though this movement, this 20- or 30-year movement of school choice, is really now starting to crystallize because of the pandemic. And I know, I mean, obviously, we've reported on it in terms of pandemic pods or the, the families that are struggling to educate their children while, while parents are working from home. But it's as though all of this choice that was put into place over these decades the choices have come into play now, and people are really starting to realize not just the benefit of the choice, but also the local control. The more local, the better, and that's
0: always what you get with those charter schools. And that's something I think may be overlooked as the focus is on President Trump and Joe Biden and the you know, this astonishing presidential election, all the twists and turns, and Hunter Biden and ABC or ACB. or I can't keep track of all the, the, the initials. Is that local elections really count? And one of the theories that uh, Michael Taylor said that I've heard echoed by others in other states is that the fight over COVID has reminded people how much local elections matter. That, you know, are you going to have a state legislator who's going to take on Governor Wolf when it comes to shutdowns and handing out exemptions to his shutdowns? Are you going to have a state senator who's, you know, in that fight for you for your business trying to reopen or the fight against COVID, whatever your view is? And that's why I think it's great, Todd Shepard, that you were able to sit down with one of the most experienced veteran Democratic players in the Delaware Valley for this week's podcast.
1: Really happy to be talking now with T.J. Rooney. He's a former chair of the Pennsylvania Democrats, also a former member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and now a political consultant. Mr. Rooney, happy to have you uh, on your first time with us on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. Thanks for joining us.
2: It's my pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, I think if we looked back even to to the early part of the year, February, March, before the pandemic hit, um, there was some excitement looking at the Pennsylvania uh, races, the House and Senate races. Uh, but now it seems as though there's more momentum picking up about this, this notion that the Democrats might flip one the majority of one chamber, maybe even both. If you were, let's say, kind of a Vegas odds maker, where would you have maybe put those odds in March, and how do you see them now?
2: In March, I would have probably pegged it at like 70-30 uh, in, in favor of the Republicans holding on. The Yudicek, State Senator John Yudicek switched parties. Um, I think it was in the calendar year, 19. But that that party switch was profoundly helpful in, in – you know, keep allowing the Republicans to, to stay the majority party in the Senate. You know, assuming, assuming they do. Um and and you know the the House is a is a is a more difficult climb in terms of number of seats uh that are needed to win. And so and I would put that, you know, at that moment in time in February, I would say it was about a seventy thirty proposition. Um it, you know it, it's substantially better. Um you know they they have good candidates in in a lot of areas that they need them the the, the problem is and, and the thing that everybody and again i don't mean to be the great cloud and all this but you asked um the, the thing that people tend to lose sight of is that we're playing defense too in in, in some cases so so pam Snyder, for example in, from green county out in southwestern pennsylvania um is she's probably going to win but but she's one of those so so a, so as Todd Stevens, uh, Republican representative, is to Montgomery County in the southeast. Pam Snyder is to Democrats in the southwest. Right. Okay. You know, they're they are they're quickly becoming hen's teeth, you know, the equivalent of in in their in their respective parties. So so what complicates it, you know, listen, at this moment in time, barring any kind of unforeseen Calamity. It looks like Joe Biden is is on a good trajectory to win a, a good victory in Pennsylvania, and you need the president, the top of the ticket, to to realize a good victory in order to carry to to bring in enough seats to have the potential to bring in enough seats. And today, as we speak, I think that potential exists, but but it's not a you know it's not a fifty fifty proposition. It's probably a fifty five forty five or sixty forty proposition, something in that neck of the woods. Um, it again it, just by it, it, all politics is is math problem and in, in our case in the case of the House Democrats, the math there's just too many you know they think need nine seats to flip it, um, which is all fair and well if you only had to play in nine seats, but you don't you have to protect. Incumbents in, in different places, and the same holds true with the Senate Democrats. I mean, yeah, sure, we all know where the seats are. There, you know, the opportunities exist in Erie. They uh, exist in your neck of the woods. They exist in in central Pennsylvania in the Harrisburg seat. Um, you know, so so the opportunities you can make an argument they exist in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, but but you know these are these are uphill. These are tough seats. Number one. And and you can't lose anything, number two. So that's what makes the the challenge a little more daunting than just being able to hopefully ride what we hope to be a good wave
1: right, so maybe let's talk about a couple of these cases uh in in one on one or you know one at a time uh, district one forty three the Democrat incumbent Wendy Ullman, so this would be one of those that you say it's 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 something that you have to defend against republican shelby labs how How do you look at that race three weeks out
2: yeah so again it's any you know any time that you're you're playing defense someplace you're you're not playing offense uh, so someplace else so you know th- this is as you suggest um todd kind of kind of epitomizes the the difficulty it's not just it's not just 9 or 8 or 9 you know it, it, it it's more and this would fall into that you know you got to pay attention because guess what in in legislative elections especially when the chamber is tighter than the tech. You, you're old enough. I'm old enough. We all remember Barb McLean Smith, you know, and and how that you know how important that state legislative race became. It became the difference between a majority and not. And uh and you always have that. Well, my point is that you, you're you're gonna have you're gonna have the race that we're gonna talk about, and then you're gonna have something out of the blue. You know, some anvil falls off, falls out of the sky and hits somebody in the head you never thought was gonna right. get hit by the anvil. So. So, you know, you have that. But in answer to your long answer to your short question, that's one of those seats that that complicates the math for, for Democrats.
1: How about District 151? You mentioned him before. Jonathan Kassa is the Democrat challenger. Republican Todd Stevens in, again, in a very blue territory. Representative
2: Stevens faces in many respects a similar dilemma that Senator Killian faces, um, clo- closer to to home, if you will, and and that is that you know. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm not going to. They are good men. They're, there's they're, they represent um, a, a wing of the Republican Party. Listen, I when I served, I served from from the early '90s to the mid 2000s, and people in those places ran the place. They, they weren't just a central part of the equation. They they ran the place. So <laughs> names like Matthew Ryan, I mean. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Delaware County was the untouchable. You, you know, you could run, you could bring Jack Kennedy back from the crypt and run him, and he'd get his head. He he would be defeated in in Delaware County. Well, that's no longer the case. So so Stevens, Representative Stevens, Senator Killian, are you know are are victims of a party that's gone off the rails, and and they're and they're trying to hold on. So 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 what does that mean? There's generally, and I bet I guarantee you, in the case of both Killian and Stephen, Steve, they've built up a well of goodwill in their district over the years. They work hard, they keep their nose to the grindstone, they don't get in trouble, um, and and they and they show up in the district. Those are all things that are critical and central to to winning. So they've built up a a, a well of a, a goodwill that is nonpartisan. Democrats will vote right. for right because they helped their grandmother get the birth certificate. You know, a million good reasons why, um, but but the the tipping point is 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 that question that central question is biden's bitwind right you know substantial enough hefty enough in in the suburbs to wash out that goodwill and 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 wipe and wipe you know them off the political planet and and that is the you know the 64 million dollar question i i would much rather not be having to face that dilemma in the southwest or the southeast rather than than virtually any other part of the state, it's on fire. I mean, Democrats are on fire in in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, you know, you go you go north into Luzerne and Lackawanna County. You don't you don't. Yes, they're on fire. Make no mistake about it. But they're offset um, by Republicans who are also on fire. So um, that's the question. The question for Stephen, Representative Stephen, Senator Killian, is: Does, does Biden and and the suburban women, Republican women, truthfully, do, do they do they um, stick with the fold or do they do what everybody else is doing and and vote democratic? And that's, you know, it, there's, it's somewhat unfortunate, you know, because there are, you know, I know I'm a Democrat, I'm proud of Democrats, but there's some good Republicans and you need good Republicans and you need good moderate Republicans and you need them, not just because it's good for the process, but you need them to get stuff done because the people that are about to run the asylum, if, if they maintain control, they're more content to say no than they are to say anything else so so you need guys you know i don't want i don't want to make a political case but you understand the, sure. the overarching you know Travis the overarching political reality of it all even good men and good women uh, who do their job well can can get taken out um, under the right
1: circumstances. Oh, sure. I think the national analogy to that is, uh, like I have talked to some Democrats, and, and admittedly they're not that sad, but they do understand that, say, Senator Susan Collins, who is clearly one of the most moderate Republicans mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. U.S. Senate, and of course there's still a lot of resentment over the Kavanaugh vote, but if you were to remove that, there is a lot of this this sentiment that gosh, if the tide is going to take out people, we wish it would take out the McConnells and the Grams, not the Susan (laughs) Collinses, right? So... uh, b- because because of what you just mentioned, because that she is someone that they can do business with, and and in in both ways, sure. you know, if if she had something to get done, she would accommodate herself to a Democrat viewpoint and incorporate some of that in whatever lawmaking she was attempting to do. So, how about one more race, yep. though? I think this one's interesting just because of the brevity. Here, we're talking about Casey Tomlinson. This is District 18, and you know she just won a special election, so. Um, uh, how hard is it to come back? And it, is it easier because she just won? Or is it harder because she just won?
2: Yeah, I think it's I think I think she's somewhat advantaged, you know, in, in a difficult climate, somewhat advantaged by having just run, because you know what, if if you're somebody like, like when I talk about going get, to get hit by the anvil and they didn't realize it, it's going to be some incumbent, somebody that's been know, there, who, right, who's been cut. Yeah, who's, who's taking their foot off the pedal that nobody's paying attention to um that hasn't run in a cycle like this that maybe hasn't been opposed in four years or six years that all of a sudden has some hard charger running against him or her and they're gonna and they're gonna wipe them out and and so so to the advantage is having run in a climate um you know recently that isn't you know isn't a general election presidential year climate, but she's a lot closer to what's going on than perhaps some of her colleagues who are who are fat dumb and happy and they think they have it in a bag and then all of a sudden you know you get you know the train run jail over
1: okay so not asking for something here related either to the pennsylvania house or the senate but i will put you a little bit on the spot just to say three weeks to go before election day and then of course there will be the three days after election day where we're still counting ballots but do you have a single prediction? you'd be willing to give to Delaware Valley Journal right now, whether it's the PA House or a single race, uh, anything like that?
2: I, I have a feel, I just have this feeling that Republican women are going to make a profound difference in the margins in in the Delaware Valley. I think they're going to, I think they it, it, people, women who have had, who had voted for President Trump uh, who four years ago had a choice between Hillary Clinton, somebody they knew forever and, and right. quite frankly didn't like all that much, and and somebody who is you know a, a boorish human person or at least person, so so that that dynamic that difference is very very you know dramatically changed this time. Joe Biden is is not uh, Hillary Clinton in in terms of how suburban women republican women would view the choice and i think they're going to choose biden over trump i think they've had enough i think yeah you know we talked a little bit about a tipping point i think they've reached theirs and the question becomes do they just take it out on trump or do they take it out on everybody the whole the whole kit and caboodle I, i'm not I, i'm not sure it, it'll affect at it all enough to make a difference in the majorities but i bet i i bet yeah there's going to be some sleepless nights in legislative races and it's going to go into the re There'll be at least two or three House races and probably one or two Senate races that, that you know, everybody's squeezing the beads as they're re-canvassing and, and, uh, and, and going through it the second or third time.
1: Sounds good. He is T.J. Rooney, former chair of the Pennsylvania Democrats and a former member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, now a consultant. Mr. Rooney, a lot of great insight. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Pleasure being with
0: you. So that's the Delaware Valley Journal podcast for this week. Where, Todd Shepard, can people find the Delaware Valley Journal on the interwebs?
1: If you're on Facebook, classic Facebook, because you probably can't find the search bar (laughs) in new Facebook. But if you're (laughs) on Facebook, use the search bar and just type in Delaware Valley Journal. You're sure to find us on Twitter. However, just look for us at
0: DV underscore journal. And where do we find us on TikTok? Do we know where that is? Have we found that yet?
1: Uh, I, 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 My Chinese <laughs> pronunciation is not quite
0: good enough. to. Uh, I forget finding the search bar on Facebook Classic. I'm trying to find the button that turns it back into Classic Facebook. That's what I want is my Classic Facebook back. Hey, and if somebody has an idea for a story or maybe they want to write an op-ed to share with the uh, Delaware Valley, how can they reach you?
1: Find me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at InsideSources.com.
0: He's Todd Shepard, editor of Delaware Valley Journal. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air.